Hello everybody, I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Hello and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast. Today we are in West Palm Beach chatting with Meg George. Megan is an entrepreneur, consultant, and writer, speaker, specializing in philanthropy and motherhood. Her latest book, What's Philanthropy to Philomena, is out now. So welcome, Megan, to the RV. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for your time. I know you're very busy. Your life in both Florida and upstate New York is quite unique. So between the two, which place do you prefer? That's a tough question because upstate New York does not have the sunshine and the warmth that Florida has, but it has a lot of people who I love and that's where I grew up. So it's nostalgic. I right now have executed this last year the perfect balance of both worlds because I spent Thanksgiving and Christmas and the summertime in upstate New York and the rest of the year in South Florida. And I feel very fortunate to have had that experience. Spending summer in New York, it's quite nice. And Staying in Florida during summer is hard. Yes, it is. It's really hot. It gets hot down here. And I have two children who want to be outside running around like crazy people. So being in New York where the weather is cooler accommodates that. Mm-hmm. How do you manage the balance between these diverse environments while caring for two kids? It's become our norm. And I think I grew up imagining that you had to be in one location all of the time, that you really shouldn't move around from where you grew up or where your family lives. And then as an adult, and especially during COVID, I had a bit of an epiphany that however other people do it doesn't mean it's the right way to life. And that if our family feels drawn to living in multiple locations and experiencing different people and environments, then we should do what feels right for us, not what necessarily the norm is. So it's been costly, right, to have multiple things in multiple places and buying plane tickets, but we'd rather sacrifice elsewhere and be able to travel back and forth and have that change of scenery. So for our family, it's kind of become the norm. And Meg, I came across an article you wrote about a stranger saving your daughter's life. A situation I can relate to. Since my daughter also has food allergies, and this led us to the hospital many times. So can you share that story with us? First of all, I'm sorry to hear that about your daughter because... We find ourselves in parenthood company 
amongst one another that none of us want to be in. But I think we're grateful to have other people who have experienced something similar. My daughter was three and a half years old and we brought her to a holiday ceremony, a tree lighting in downtown West Palm Beach almost two years ago to the day from right now. And we bought her ice cream that was made of cashews, which I'm not sure I, I guess I knew when I purchased the ice cream, it was made of cashews, but we didn't know she was allergic to cashews. So either way, that didn't really mean anything to us. And within 30 seconds of her eating the ice cream, we could tell something was severely wrong. She was going into anaphylaxis and it's strange how the universe works, but I had just come across a nonprofit organization called Red Sneakers for Oakley just weeks before this incident. And unfortunately, the nonprofit was born out of the tragic loss of this young boy, Oakley, and his parents founded it so that they could spread food allergy awareness and advocate for the use of EpiPens, epinephrine, around the world. They've successfully done that. And me, as somebody who knew nothing about food allergies, learned a lot from Red Sneakers for Oakley's Instagram page and website. And I really know that I was equipped with that information so that I would know what to do when my daughter was in this situation. And all I could think of was this story about this beautiful boy, Oakley. And I was screaming for help when my daughter's face was showing that something was clearly wrong. And a doctor came right up to us and said, I'm a doctor. I have an EpiPen. Can I administer it? And he told my husband to call 911. And my husband did. And he gave her the EpiPen and she could start. She was crying, but she could breathe. And you could see because her face had just blown up in these welts. And all of that was going down and getting in under control. So we went to the hospital and everything turned out okay. But, you know, on somebody saved her life. And also our lives are changed forever since that incident. And I know other parents of children with food allergies can relate to just feeling like every day is grip. You're just gripped with a little bit more anxiety than you want because you have this major thing you always have to worry about. Yeah. I don't know. I think you were so lucky to have yeah. a doctor who had an EpiPen. There. So lucky. Yeah. Unbelievable. And I can imagine how stressful it must have been. Like my daughter needs to carry an EpiPen for her allergies. She's allergic to soy and soy, you know, is present in almost no. everything. Yeah. That's really tough. That's a hard one. And the problem is she's now living in New York. And I kept saying, please take the EpiPen. And so then, yeah, don't worry, mom. I said, I worry every single day. Yeah, that's our job. We worry. I When I ever try to meditate or go for a walk or do something where I'm just kind of tapping into myself, I'm always thinking I wish I could worry less. That is like one thing about motherhood that 
I, it's really hard to fathom before you have children how much you will worry. And then when you add something health related, it's so hard. I agree completely. Meg, your journey took an unexpected turn from pharmacy to a career in fundraising and philanthropy. I'm curious to know what inspired this shift. I was really young when I thought I would be a pharmacist. Uh, in high school, actually, I worked at a, a pharmacy and I was just dead set on going to pharmacy school. And I thought that that would be the perfect thing for me to do with my life. But the truth is that I hadn't been exposed to a lot of different jobs and career opportunities. And I went on a class trip to France when I was in high school and realized how big the world was and how small I was as a part of it. And that I really didn't want to choose a path that felt really safe and really expected. I wanted to explore something that made me feel like there would be different kinds of opportunities. And I'm a control freak and I tend to be an anxious person. So the idea of going down a path that wasn't extremely set and concrete and, and smooth and safe was really hard for me. But again, I was young enough to say, I'm going to try something different. I'm going to get a French degree. I love France. I don't want to be a teacher, but I think it would be amazing to acquire this language and learn about its literature and its culture. So I lived in Nice, France for about six months, and that was such a life-changing experience for me. And thereafter, I knew that I wanted to do something that led me to being around people and communicating. Ultimately, I never used my French degree. I, I really haven't spoken French in years. Every so often I watch a movie in French or I'll try to teach my kids a phrase that comes up in conversation. And I wish I practiced it more actually because it took so much time to acquire it. But I stayed at my alma mater in upstate New York after I graduated from college, and they asked me to apply for a job in their advancement office, and that's the word educational institutions use for fundraising. So I would get in my car or get on a plane and go to Washington, D.C., New York City, Philadelphia, and I would meet with the alumni of this college and ask them for support. And I really, really liked it. I know the idea of asking people for money felt very frightening to, and still does, to a lot of people, but it didn't scare me. It felt very relational and kind of a fun way to meet people and learn about what they do and learn about what they care about. So I met my husband while I was doing that work. We both went on to other jobs as well, but ultimately we left those to found our firm together. And this is our maybe eighth or ninth year of doing this work together. And we absolutely love it. So we went from being the people who actually asked for gifts, asked for support, to being those who teach people how to do that and advise institutions on how much they can actually raise or advise families on how to give their money away in a really meaningful way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you are doing a great job, Meg. Thank you. 
because philanthropy brings people and organizations together to help those in need and we we need it we need to do it every day and your work is just precious thank you thank you so much yes and how do you go about let's say identifying and selecting the organizations or projects to support your philanthropic endeavors? So we, if a family hires me to help them be strategic with their philanthropy, then I really get a sense from the family of where they feel mission aligned and what their affinity is for supporting the world. Sometimes it's animals, food security, children, health. And then I go to the organizations that I know or I uncover through my own research and I vet them to see if they're a good fit for this family. And I I do the due diligence. But when it comes to actually advising uh, philanthropic institutions, they will call us when they feel like they're in a time period where they're ready to raise a significant sum of money. Maybe it's a, a $20 million project and they really need someone to counsel them. So I'm, I uncover them kind of through my professional sphere, but for our own families giving, when we're giving away a gift, uh, what we do together as a family every year, I usually use the, the places I've come across that have piqued my interest. And I, I just choose three of them for our family to, think about and vote on and decide. We try to give just one gift at the end of the year so that we're kind of pooling our resources and making it more of an investment than anything else. But I'm lucky to work in this space. So I come across worthy causes all of the time. It's so interesting. And and, uh, you've recently published a children's book titled What's Philanthropy to Philomena. Can you share the story behind it? Yep. So what's philanthropy to Philomena, which I acknowledge is a total mouthful and will be for children to say, but it's a book that came from ideas I've had over the years that our country relies on a few ultra wealthy people to fund a lot of things. And we stand the chance in the future to inspire more of the masses to be philanthropic, to be generous. And I think the tide will turn a little bit in charity. I think that young people are curious and they're innovative around social and community challenges, but I think we have to teach them. And so I wrote the book to try and level the playing field, if you will, in philanthropy. I want children to grow up believing that they are philanthropists and I want them to know what philanthropy means. I also think that if we do that, then teachers and parents and and caregivers will feel more comfortable using that word philanthropy. And it sort of just makes it more accessible. It doesn't need to be reserved for just people giving away millions and billions of dollars. So my prediction is that things will change when the next generations rise, because collectively, I think they're going to be a real force. But I like the idea of giving them the tools to be creative, not just around the way that they 
play or think, but also the way that they can approach challenges that we have in this world and how we might use philanthropy to try and help solve them. That's a wonderful way to inspire children, you know, to develop empathy, empathy and yes. desire to help others. And what age group is your book intended for? It's funny, we keep having this conversation because The way that it's uh, written is probably best for children between the ages of four and eight years old. But I also argue that children older than eight years old, children who are 12 years old, they still might not know what the word philanthropy is. I didn't know it until I was graduating from college. So I think that the book should be used for families as a whole, regardless of age, especially at this time of year where it just happens to be more on people's minds to think about acts of charity and generosity. But in classrooms, kindergarten, first, second, third grade even are all appropriate for the language and just to start the conversation. And again, in families, I think if you're all huddling together on the couch or in a bed uh, during your nighttime routine. It's a great story for anyone of any age to hear how the word is used and what it means. And Meg, what advice would you give to, to our listeners or to those who want to start their philanthropic journey, but aren't sure where to begin? I would suggest that you choose an amount of money or items that you have perhaps or that you know are accessible for you to go get and you involve your spouse and your children in deciding what exactly that will be, why you're choosing it, what kind of impact it will have, and you go through the act of it together. If you're in a place to give even a $15 gift away this year or If you're in the place to give a $3,000 gift away this year, I invite you to sit around the dinner table with your children and present a couple of ideas and get the conversation started. Ask them to give a little bit of their money too, even if it's a dollar, and they'll probably end up giving more if they have birthday money, Hanukkah, Christmas money, what have you, tucked in a drawer upstairs. But once they're a part of the conversation, they're invested And they're enthusiastic about starting to help make a change when they see they can do it. So tangible things are much better than theoretical or philosophical conversations. And by that, I mean, hey, I'm really interested in our family supporting this animal shelter or this food bank. At the animal shelter, they really need blankets. We have five we could donate. But also, if we put our money together, we could buy five more. That would be for 10 dogs, right? And the food bank is feeding 300 people this holiday season. They said $100 could feed 35 of those people, and that would go a really far way. We have $70. How can we come up with 100 When kids see that they're actually not too young and not too small to help have an impact and make this world better... I think they're very excited and they're very empowered. So nothing is too small of a project to both ignite that philanthropic flame in your children and in your family, um, and also to make a difference. Um, Spending time is also a wonderful way to be philanthropic. Cleaning up 
the beach or my family this last Sunday went and made dinner for all of these residents who are staying at a house while they await surgery for their child. It's a life-changing surgery and they're in a house that's beautiful and big and they have each other, but they're not getting a home-cooked meal or any warm food. And my husband, who is such a great cook, went and bought all the food and cooked it and kind of gave me and the kids jobs. And our kids loved it. The first thing they asked the next morning is when can we go do that again? So I think that if you just come up with one idea, it snowballs and our children surprise us. Yeah. The world, they will see the world in a different way. They will. They're fulfilled by it. Yeah. That's great. I love it. Really. Thank you. Yes. And Megan, where can our listeners find you and your book? Thank you for asking. My website is megtgeorge.com. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes here. And the same uh, wording there, Meg T. George, is also my handle for Instagram. On my website, I have my Instagram linked, my blogs, the article for the Today Show about a stranger saving my daughter's life. And of course, I have my book for sale. It is available for pre-sale until November 15th. And then it, it will be available for sale with immediate shipping. And it will also be live on Amazon that day as well. I really wish you can keep doing it, keep writing and come back. I'll be happy to drive to Florida again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was fun. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. And remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.